This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. God has been so good to us with all of the teachings that he is laying upon our hearts. And I hope that you are studying them. I hope you're going back to Wednesday night service, going back to Sunday morning, going back. And I was listening to the message this morning, and I'm telling you, you have to be a mature man to follow that. To, I'm talking about to obey those things. <laughs> you're going to have to split down being childish to enable to operate in those principles, but those principles will get you the victory. You can't be childish, a childish man, and try to interact with those types of truths. Those are truths that penetrate all the childishness and gets right to the core of a real man, a man of God. So that was exciting. I love that. That was, I mean, those are just principles that you should just put in place right now. Whatever you've been doing, change. And just put them into place. Amen. But if you will, let's go into our foundational scripture, which is John 17. And we are in our second lesson on this particular series on how to exist in this present troubled time or how to exist in, in all of the... I mean, we have so many things going on in our country right now, in our families right now. And how do we exist in this time? God is always, everybody say always, always taught His people how to exist, how to live, how to walk it out in whatever kind of troubling times it's, it has been. You can see it in Abraham. You can see it in Moses. You can see it in, in the prophets. You can see it in the judges. You can see it in many people in the Bible. You can see it even in Joshua. Just, I mean, you can just walk through the Bible and in their dispensation of time or their span of time, they walked it out. They worked it out. And God wants us to do the same. Amen. And so you could, and most importantly, you could see it through the life of the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. How he himself lived in that time, in the dispensation he was in. You can also see it in the Paulinian letters or Paul's letters. All of those things, how he got through. And you can even see it in the final book of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, if you have it. And I'm, let me tell you, me and Pastor, our founding pastor, before he's gone, we were working on some things about the book of Revelations. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth. And we're going to do an extensive teaching. I almost want to just pull the ministry class together and teach that because that's how deep it was being. And um, But we'll see. But anyway, let's get back to this. In the book of Revelation, it teaches us all those things, how we are to exist in the present time in which we live. It teaches us how to exist. exist. In the book of Revelation, it teaches us how to ex exist in what was, in what is, and what is to come. If you look at, look at it out, he, in each dispensation, it shows you how you are to walk, how you are to exist, how you are to function. So very, very important. Amen. God has never, ever left his people ignorant as it relates to how to exist in times of trouble in the world. And we are in the world right now, and there, these are troubling, perilous times. And I have a responsibility 
as your pastor to make sure that I teach you how to exist in this present time. And it's only by the grace of God and by His Word that we know how to do that. I also have the uh, responsibility to those that have been restored. Those that have been restored in this ministry. Those that have been restored by the Word of God. that, That you are taught how you are to live. How you to act, how you are to function in this span of time. It doesn't do us any good if we teach those that have been healed, repaired, rebuilt, strengthened, equipped. you got all of that going on. Ordered. You've been ordered. And all of those things are in place, and but you don't know how to occupy until he comes. That's not good. Everything must flow. Everything is a flow. And it seems like a lot going on, but it's really not. It all flows together. Are you with me? So, for the next several weeks, maybe months, we'll we'll see how it goes. We're going to look at this and we will use the word of of Jesus as our guide. It's going to guide us through. So we learned last week that here in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And I like that. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he is praying for his disciples. And he's also praying for us. Get that. He was praying for the disciples as well as praying for us. And Jesus is letting us know that he's praying for those that he is calling out of the world, but he is not praying for the world. We saw that last week. It's it's almost as if it seems like a contradiction. He's praying for us to come out he to come out of the world, but then he's not praying for the world. But isn't he Jesus? It doesn't he love the world? Just stay tuned and hold on and grab hold and just let let this train keep on choo chewing down the road and you just stay hooked. He's praying that they'll have joy and that they will be protected from the evil of the world. He is praying that they will be sanctified through truth. Jesus is reminding the Father that He kept them. He said, Father, I kept them while they were in the world. That He and, and He reminded Him that He kept. He always God always going to keep and have a way of keeping those that believed on Him, Jesus, because they were. Because if you're not hated in the world, I don't care how many people is in your ministry, how big or mega your ministry is, how well known you are, if the world love you, you are not doing God's work. Because the world should be hating you. Because it did Jesus. And Jesus said, it hated me and it's going to hate you. That's one of the signs how you'll know who's for me. And now I don't, see, we look at Numbers and we look at popularity, and God says, No, look at Jesus and how he walked and how he was followed and what was said about him, and the same should be happen- happening to you. Then you'll know you're on point with God because the world hated Jesus. They can't, it can't, it's no way that the world hated Jesus and loved you and you're for Jesus. No way. The Bible tells you, he said, no, the world has hated me and it's going to hate you. The Bible don't lie. Jesus is praying for his disciples because he is about to send them out into the world. So we look at 
chapter 17, beginning at verse 15. And it says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now we already know right here how you are going to be sanctified through the truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. That would be us. He just prayed for you and you weren't even on the planet. Verse 20, 21, let's, uh, was, uh, oh, 21. That they all may be, let me do 20 and 21 together. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in you. I'm just going to put it in our terms. I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, he just said, I'm in you, you in me, and they are in us, and we're all one. Look at that. So we see here that Jesus desires to send us into the world. The world, so the world might know and believe that He is the Son of the living God. God said that He's, they're gonna know it through seeing you. And they'll know, He'll know that not only He's the Son, but that the Father sent Him. Listen, some of us, we have been in church for so long that we have forgotten that we were sent to the world. See, we, we get so religious that we forget that we are sent to the world. Jesus brought us into the body. This is why he brought us into the body, to send us to the world. Jesus did not bring us into the body for us to hide from the world. Jesus brought us into the body to be protected from the evil in the world. I get that. Get that? God did not bring us into the body for us to hide from the world. But he had every intent, every intent to send us into the world. See, the world can't know and can't believe that the Father sent the Son if we are, if we are only in the church. They can't see it. And we have to be in the world. If we are not in the world and only in the church, no way the world will ever see that the Father sent the Son. And that's one of our jobs. That's one of our responsibilities as believers, as ambassadors. You want directions and instructions from headquarters, and that is, I want you out of the church and I want the world to see so that they will know. Not that you're somebody, not that you're some great teacher or some great anointed one, but to show the world that the Father sent the Son. Are you with me? If we never leave out of our churches, tell me how will the world know that the Father sent the Son? How? Now here's the good news. 
Jesus, uh, when Jesus, Jesus didn't send us along into the world. He said, no, I'm going to send you another comforter in the Holy Spirit. He said, don't, just wait. I'm going to give you somebody else that's going to help you when you go into the world. He told them in John 16, before he prayed, he said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Stop trying to run from it because you're going to run into it while you're trying to run from it. Because he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. He said, but be, but, but be peaceful and be of good cheer. For I've already overcome it. See, he tells us what's going to happen and he tells you why you can have peace in it. Because I have the confidence that he, Jesus, has overcome it. So the tribulation is coming. But he said, be of good cheer, have peace, I've overcome the world. He said, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I know it's going to be a struggle. I know it's going to be hard. And I know you can't do it by yourself. So I'm sending you a comforter in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you another comforter. But guess what? Not only did he send us another comforter, he said to, to go out with us, he sent us each other. He said, add it. He said, now you all go together. I'm going to cause you all, all to go together. <laughs> he sent us all out together. Now, if you look at the world today and you look at the church today, I'm talking about just globally, you would never think that the whole church was sent out together because everybody's split into this, that, the other. Everybody's doing different things. But that was never the way it's supposed to be. Everybody was supposed to be on one accord, doing exactly what he said, making sure that we go out into the world so that the, fa- that, that the world can see that the Father sent the Son. But everybody's doing the Every and anything in the body of Christ and making it anything other than those disciples that should be going out. Are you with me? So, to fulfill our assignment, we must learn how to exist, though, in these troublesome times, in this span of time that we're in right now. My intentions of this teaching is to protect us from the evil of this world. You know, oftentimes I listen to parents and I've seen parents in this ministry and just people that I know. And you can, and you can tell by just looking at the way they raise their children, how they talk to their children, or their, their mentality of what they think God is saying. And you can tell the difference that they have in protecting their children from the evil of this world from protecting them just from the world. There's two different things. You, you can t- and there's a big difference. So they are, af- now when you find a parent that are af- afraid for their children to do anything, afraid for them to listen to anyone, forbid them, I don't want them to do anyone, don't want them to see anything, don't want them to go anywhere, want to shelter them from everything, you know, you know, God forbid, no, that, that's of the world, I, I, I gotta shield my child from that. But listen, you're not teaching them the more important lesson, because here's the thing, they have, if you get this down, you'll, you'll start thinking different. Your children have to leave your house one day. They have to. Now you could put six locks on the doors, let down all the shades in the house, and you can and you can only bring them to church and take them home with you. But guess what? 
One thing you will not be able to control. One thing you will not be able to change. You cannot stop them from aging. See, they're going to grow in all of that. You can't stop them from aging. And at some point, they're going to leave. They have to get a job, and they have to get out of your house at some point. So, see, if you're just protecting them from everything of the world, you've missed it. You want to protect them from the evil, not the world, because the world they must be in. Are you with me? Listen. So instead of hiding them from everything out of fear, and I've seen parents do it, maybe you need to just teach them and protect them just from the evil. Exposing the evil, since we know that they have to function in this environment. They have to function there. So I'm not trying to teach them. They are going, and when they get out of your house, they're going to they're be all in the world. So you cannot keep them from that. But you can make sure you uh, uh, let them know and show them the evil. Not every little thing that's in the world, they're going to be there. Amen. Well, I thought we were, I thought this ministry was just trying to bring up children that not tainted, you know, you know, untainted by the world. Well, yes, untainted by the evil, not the world. We're trying to raise children that are untainted by the evil in the world, protecting them from the evil but not we we're not trying to unexpose them to the existence of it because it's there. Well, Pastor, how do I do that? Uh Deuteronomy, I think around the sixth chapter, told us how to do that. He says, Keep them with you, take them where you go. When you rise up early, teach them. When you go to bed, teach them, teach them your way. Walk in it so they can see you walking in. That's how you teach them. Show them what you stay away from, and that's how you teach them. Simple. See, we're looking for some, give me some one magic word to teach them. Just teach them. Keep them with you and show them. Okay, this is the, because you're in the world. I'm the, go out in the world with them. That's evil. And you're going to see it all the time in the world. Instead of uh, trying to protect them and they never see it and they get out there and the first thing they do when they get out there is enjoy it. Because they never seen it. That's how so many children have gotten caught up. Are you with me? So that, if you want to know how, walk with them and teach them. And let them, let them know that you're teaching them by protecting them from the evil. Now watch this. If a church or the congregation in the church of believers do not know how to exist in this troublesome time, if you don't know how to operate, if you don't know how to function, the church will die. And it will die one of three ways. Listen to me. Now listen, it will die one of three ways. It will die from age. And when I say age, I mean people will just grow old and everybody will just die out. In that ministry, and, and it'll just be that. Or it'll die through a loss of vision. 
We're so caught up with the worldly things and so much going on in our families and so excited about one thing. So you, got, you lose the whole vision of the church. And it'll also die from corruption and compromise because that's the next thing that you'll bring in because you want to bring people in. So you'll start doing the corrupting things. I'm telling you, I've seen online, I've seen churches and their whole Sunday morning service look like a nightclub. I mean, they have light shows, they have, they have smoke coming up. I'm telling you the whole deal. Um, they have a concert every Sunday morning. I'm not talking about a youth group doing something. No, no. Every Sunday morning, they have red, blue, green. They have the whole deal going on on the platform. And then they have all of the smoke coming up. And they do that for every service. And guess what? It's packed in there. And everybody's jumping in their seats just like you see at a concert. See, we think dead means numbers, but you could be packed and be a dead church. And how do I know if I'm in a church that's packed and it's dead? This is how you know. God tells us by the word. See, see, people want you to voice it out and say so they can say, oh, you just jealous. No, I'm going to bring it to the word. The word tells us how we should be. Are you with me? So if we compromise, it'll, we'll, it'll, 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 it, it will it'll just stop being a sanctified place. Meaning you invite the world in just to keep the doors open. And that's our job. That's my job. My job is to make sure this ministry don't die. And the people that are in this ministry, that love this ministry, it's their job as well. It's your job. Church of the Living Water is your job to make sure this ministry don't die by these simple truths walking in them. When I say evil of the world, I mean those things that are damaging again to our characters. You ought to want to be protected from those things that are damaging to our characters. I want to protect us from the things that are hurtful in our, in our lives. Just things that are hurtful. See, just, 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 just things that bother us. You know, part of the reason that we spent so much time, again, on restoration is because so many people have been hurt by the evil of the world because they didn't know how to handle it and they let the evil of the world hurt them. I want to protect us from those things, those things that are grievous. Those things that are grievous, maybe not to you, but they're grievous to God. And God will always expose them in, their, in, your, in the Word. And they should, if they're grievous to God, I don't care. I don't care if they're not sin. If they grieve God, then I want them off. Ah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, see, it's not grievous to you. But ask God, is it grievous to Him? I want to protect us from the malicious intent of the adversary. My purpose is to sanctify us with truth. Sanctify means to separate us from the evil things. That's what that's all it means, to separate us from the evil things. Again, don't you start worrying about what I'm trying to take away from, because I've already told you in time past, and I'll tell you again, you can do any and everything but sin. You can do any and everything but evil. 
So anything else you want to do, but you can't sin. I want us to be cleansed on the inside. I want us to be set apart for a sacred purpose. The goal is for us to actualize our vision in this span of time. The the span of time in which we live, we need to actualize this vision. We want to be a people who love God no matter what. We want to be a people that hate sin no matter what. Not not say, ooh, Lord. I, uh. You know, I've seen people that smoke cigarettes and, and, and they've come off of them or they're trying to get it. They, they'll say things like, I'm giving it up because I know it's not good for me, but I love it. You know, I just, ooh. I, I, I like it. I like it after I eat. I like it after. But no, in sin, you got to hate it. You got to hate it. In order to be through with it. And if we are not a church and we're not a people that love to give at all costs. Because once we know that, that thing is building up treasures in heaven. And that's where it counts the most. It doesn't count the most down here. It counts the most up in heaven in your giving. Whether it be financially, whether it be spiritually, whether it be natural, whether it be physical, in whatever way that God is causing you to be a help or to be a giver, then you build in the kingdom so when times of trouble come, you can withdraw from that bank account or from that treasure because I've built up treasure in heaven. And we need to learn how to do what's right. Right now. See, we can't wait. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put all that into practice when we all come back together. No, no, no. You need to do that right now in this span of time that we're in. See, before you begin to think in and of yourself that this world is the worst of the worst. Oh, no. Oh, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's, it's worse than it's ever been. How, can, how are we going to be able to do all this? How are we going to go out into the world? How are we going to win people? Listen, no one in here is being thrown to the lions. No one in here is being crucified. No one. None of you out there are being crucified. So you want to ask, oh, this world. And see, if you keep looking at the news 24-7, it's going to tell you it's the first time for everything. But this is old stuff. I'm going to prove it to you. So you're not, you, you know, if, if the disciples, they, at that time, they managed how they lived in their time, span of time. And let me tell you, they managed it so well, and this was in the time when you were being crucified, thrown to the lines. They managed it so well that they, it stayed on point that we now have the gospel. Because they stayed on point in troubling times. And we're not even in the times that they're in. And they managed it. Because they were taught by the teacher. And they handled it. And they managed it. And now we know who Jesus is. So if they can live that way and glorify God, then we can glorify God in the times that we live in right now.
But we need to know how. In other words, we need to, we, we, we have to move the church forward in this dispensation of time that we're in. We have to move the church forward. So we can't wait. We can't wait for the world, you know, you know, for what the world wants or what we want the world to do before we can move. That needs to change before. No. We must do the work of the Lord in the world if we want to move the church forward in this span of time. See, the longer you live in this world or in this dispensation of time, in times of trouble, you think that the will of God can't be done in this time because of what's going on in the world. You start thinking, oh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just not like it used to be. See, you'll start thinking that way. That's the truth. Oh, I don't know. See, when you first believed, you believed that the Word of God was the will of God and it could penetrate anything. But you done got churchy now. Now it's like, uh, I don't know if it could work in this time. When time change, you look out and you say, oh boy. And let me tell you, times is going to continue to change. What's happening now, what we see what's happening in our country, it's not. I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to get better according to the word. I don't know. I don't know how any believer is going to believe that, you know, at this time. You you believed in your time, and it was trouble. I've seen over time. Now, this is what I have noticed. I was thinking about it. This is what I've noticed. Most, most people search for God between the ages of 25 to 35. I'll even say 20. 20 to 35 is the time that people seek God. So just think, if Jesus is seeking people at that age, the same age that people are seeking Him, (laughs) then what are we doing? See, we're busy ministering to each other, but we got that 20 to 35 that's out there That's primed. They're seeking. So we have to ask ourselves as a church, what are we doing? There's clearly a window of time when young people have an urge to seek God. They're looking for God. And that's that age. Remember the age when you sought for him. Now, I'm not talking about when you backslid. I'm talking about when you actually, actually sought for him. It was probably between those ages. Now, you might have backslid in that time, but you was actually seeking him during those times. Think back. Between the ages 20 and 35. So, if our focus is not on the time in which God taps the heart of man then what are we really doing? What are we really doing? 
all I'm doing is asking you out there, especially you between the ages of 20 and 35. And I mean, and I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but I want you to find people who are like you. That's all you have to do. Find people who were like you. I don't care what age you are. Find people who were like you. See, this is what has happened with people in the church. We have made a simple assignment ridiculously complex. Oh, I don't know. We got to do. No, no. It's not that complex. Well, how do we really get them? How did they get you? It's their works. How are we going to reach them? Well, ask yourself, how does somebody reach you? What got you? What got to you? That's what's going to get to them. Please write this down. I made sure I put this in red because that, when God threw that across my eyes, that is it. This is our whole problem. We have allowed what we see to become more powerful than what we know. We have allowed that, what we see, to be more powerful than what we know. And yet, we call ourselves people of faith. <laughs> Listen, we're in a time of change not only in this country, but in this church. Because of the dispensation of time in which we live in, the span of time. The reason there's a change in the church is because of the times that we live in. That's why we must bring it forward. Because of the times. That I didn't say change the message. Now, there's a lot of us out there, we've let the world intimidate us. But actually, if you those those people between twenty and thirty five, they're they're excited. They're, they're excited. If you give them opportunity, they'll say, Pastor, if you show me how to actualize this, if you show me how to put it, I see it when I see new gen. You show us how to actualize and put it down, and we'll do it. We're excited about doing it. Just show us how to do it. Coach us how to do it. Coach us how to be wall builders. Show us how to climb the wall and stay on it. Teach us. So last week we started with our objective, what is the world? And I had given you a definition. I said the world is the whole of the creation, a whole of creation, created and ordered by God and defiled by man. Some statements we made, we said that the world is not, just some statements we made. I said the world is not random. It didn't order itself. Well, I told you that's evolution. Now, all of us, mostly all of us, we don't believe in evolution. But let me tell you what you do believe in. You do believe in the random nature of the world, though. When I say that, the world did order itself. But I'm here to tell you, it didn't order itself. It was ordered. I'm going to clear it up for you. Man did not order the world. I told you last week, between the, the Greek 
philosophy and the Roman philosophy and the birth of knowledge and the awakening of the in the dark ages. All of those brought all these things in. That and man began to think that out of knowledge I can ordain this world. I can just say it. I can bring it into being. And that atmosphere still exists. Still exists in the earth today. That somehow man ordered his own world. That's why we see the expression, find your own truth. Find your truth. Listen, there is a truth and you don't own it. What you're going to find is a lie. Now watch this. With the advent of the faith teaching, I've got to bring this to us, they have come an adoption of this philosophy that man can order his own world. Because faith teaching have stopped, they, they stopped teaching the rightly divided, divided word of God. They've, they, they've even stopped even referring to the scriptures now. They just stopped altogether. They say things like, name it, claim it. They say things like, I believe it and receive it. They say things like, decree it and declare it. Whatever you say, you bring it into being. You make it happen. And I'm telling you, you meet people today, and some of you are listening, and you've decreed, you've declared, you've named it, you've claimed it, you believed it, you received it. But I'm here to tell you this. Don't, don't go off. Just listen. And let God deal with your heart. When you do those things, in other words, you are ordering, you are creating your reality. The reality in which you live in. You actually telling the world, do what I speak. I decree it. I declare it. And you know, the louder they get, the more forceful like I'm telling the world what to do. I'm ordering the world. I decree and I declare it. Whatever I want to happen, I speak it into existence. Now, we know that the Bible says that there's power in words. But see, that's not what that means. <laughs> and that's another teaching for another time. I say it and it happens. And it happens the way I say it. And it's going to happen. Why? Because I said it. See, that's ordering the world. And you don't order the world. We walked through the scriptures last week and we found that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that which we see was framed by what we don't see. This is what you need to understand. The world is an, uh, it, never been in our wills to shape the world. The world is an, an is and will always be shaped by the word of God. 
Now, right here I'm going to go back because in my prayer time, God said, now go back because some of them have had discussions that some of you have families and after we get through teaching, you sit down and discuss things and uh, what's being taught. And he said, some of them have the notion that you said that no matter what happens, what God has already put in place is going to happen. It's already done. Just, just hang with me. Before I move forward, I, there's a little confusion. So I'm going to take my time so you can get an understanding of it. So you won't think, well, it really no matter what I do, because it's already framed. Nothing I can do. So I want to explain it so that you will know how to understand it and how to relate it to your family, how you can discuss it. Amen? So, the diff- and, and the difference is, the difference is between our free will or your choice and God framing the world. Your free will and God framing the world. There's a difference. Between your free will and God framing the world. And see, we have a couple of different beliefs in Christendom. And neither one of them are exactly accurate. That's why I want to explain it. You have Christians who believe that God determines everything. So it doesn't matter what you do. Because no matter what you do, what's going to happen is what God has already determined. However God already determined it, that's how it's going to happen. Then we have the other side, or the other end. Then we have folks who say God gave them the power to say whatever they want. And everything in their life is going to be what they say, no matter what the Word says. Now, neither one of those are accurate. Now, listen, but there's an aspect of truth in both of them. Just an aspect of truth in both of them. But they're not the truth. So, in this, what most Christians do is land somewhere in the middle. So we don't know when God did it or when he didn't do it. When he should do it or when he shouldn't do it. When it was him and when it was not him. Was that him or was it not? We don't know if we did it, he did it, the devil did it, the world did it. We don't know any of the... We're just trying to figure it out. So instead of finding out the truth and coming to a church like this and being taught, all we do is say, praise the Lord. Whichever way it go. Because now I'm just... Did he do it? Did God say that? You know what? I need confirmation. Well, I don't know. Should he have done I don't know if he should have done I don't know. We, and that, that's where a lot of people are. And it doesn't mean you don't know God. It, doesn't mean, it means you need teaching like this so you can rightly divide it. So let's make sure before I start the new information, let's be clear. Let's be very clear. The world is the whole of creation. 
created and ordered by God and defiled by man. And the world was framed by the word of God. We know that. So how does this tie into my ability to have choice and my will? Because you do have a choice and a will. If God framed it, how, is, how does that play in? If God framed it, then whatever I, you know, it doesn't matter what I choose. It's already framed, right? Well, yeah, if you don't understand, that's what it will mean to you. That's why I want you to understand. So pay attention closely. Listen attentively. Write it down. The world was framed by the word of God. In his framing, he gave you a will and a power of choice. But what he did not give you was the power of consequences or the choice of consequences. I'll say it again. I'm breaking it down for you. So you will know the difference. Listen. The world was framed by the word of God. In his framing, he gave you a will and a power of choice. But what he didn't give you was the power of the choice of consequences. He only gave you free will and the power of choice. Again, he didn't give you the power of consequences. Let me say it to you in another way so you can get it. He gave you the power to do addition, but not the answer to the problem. I said he gave you the power (laughs) to do addition, but not the answer to the power. What it equals. So you can have the ability to choose. So he said, now I'm going to lay it out. But you can have the ability to choose. You have a free will. You can, let me tell you, you can live your life however you want. But listen, here it goes. You can live your life however you want. But what happens as a result of how you live, that's framed by the word of God. There's your framing. See, you had a part in the frame. It wasn't automatic that God said, this is the way it's going to be. No, your power and your will caused God to frame your life. Your choice. Your will. Remember, he gave you the power to have that. But he didn't give you the power of the consequences. So it's framed. Because remember also, because he framed the fact that you have a will. (laughs) He framed that. You have a will. Pastor, I don't understand. Uh, Maybe you get it this way. This is how he did it. He said, I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursings. But you choose... Because what you choose, it's going to be framed. See, that has nothing to do with it. It's already there no matter what. No, 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 no. Your will and your choice put the frame there. He said, I said, he said all over the scripture. He gave us different things to frame our life for. He said, but whether you do it or not, 
Whatever you do is going to frame it. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so you and your seed can leave. So I can frame that. Listen, if a sinner chooses his, his uh, life, his seed is blessed. Why? Because his life is framed by the word of God in his choice. A non-believer sins, it hurts his child. See, if you don't have to be a believer, this God placed in the world. You don't see, you don't even have to know this is in the Bible for it to work. <laughs> it works because God has already placed it there. It's framed by the Word of God. What does he say? What is done in the dark is what will be brought to light, framed. Framed. That wasn't automatic. It was your choice in the dark. Now it's framed in the light. Whatever you do in darkness, light is coming. And guess what he didn't say? Just Christians. Now the world says it this way. You're going to get just what you gave. You're going to find, you know, at the end, it's sweet. You, those children are going to give that back to you. Because they don't understand that the Bible is framed. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. Framed. And guess what? That's true for every man. Not just Christians. Every man and everything. Now, the world calls it karma. Yeah, whatever you don't worry, karma, baby, you're going to get that back. See, that's the world because they don't understand this truth. But we do. See, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. See, the world was framed. It didn't take your choice away. But remember, in all of that, you never have and never will have the power or the choice of the consequences. God framed it. A tree is known by what? There you go. You're known by your works. Your fruit is going to be there. So the only thing you can do is make the tree good. The wages of sin is framed. I'm just trying to drive that home to you because God said you were a little confused, but this ought to clear up every confusion. Frame. The wages of sin is death. It's all frame. 
Now, listen, we look at those scriptures that I just did, and we look at them, and, and in our mind we have a negative connotation about them. Oh, and we only have a negative connotation about it because we're carnal. <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> if you are a good tree, you have good fruit. You ain't got to try to do all of that. If you're righteous, you don't have to deal with the wages of sin. See, we always look at it in the negative. But if, if, if you're doing all this, none of this applies to you. If you sow life, you don't reap corruption. Simply. That's why God said, guard your heart with all diligence. The out of it flows the issues of life. See, the world put a rating on everything about the heart. They'll do things like, this is not good for you. See, this is not. Why? Because, you know, we don't want this to get down in your heart. Because once this gets down in your heart, it's going to show up in your conduct. So then, so, so the world, because they really don't understand the truth and they won't let God, they won't sit and learn the truth, they'll say, okay, this is PG-13. What they're actually saying is, this can get in your heart at 13, but at 12, not so much. We think, you know, 12, 13, 12, nah, it's going to mess you up. But 13, nah, you maybe can handle that. Talking about how the world does. That's different from God. Oh. Now let me give you another example. You know, you can't, you can't miss what's happening in the country today. But you can, a lot of times, see, we're so caught up with that. But see, I always look at things to get God's perspective on it and to be a blessing to God's people out of it. And so with what's going on in the world today, God just laid it out just like this, and I'm going to lay it out to you. Listen to me. Another example, a framed, because I want you to know. And because of what we're seeing in our country right now, think on this. This country is governed by the Constitution, right? It's governed by that. And those who wrote the Constitution... They're known as framers. Framers. So this world is, or this country is framed by the Constitution. Now, a little while ago, we had an election and we made a choice. It may not have been the, cho the, person, or the personal choice that you made, but the choice was made. According to how, listen, it was made according to how things are framed by the framers. The framers are the ones who do the Constitution. You know, you had to vote, you had to register to vote. Everything was laid out by the framers. Now, listen, we had a right to make a choice. But we don't get the right to choose the consequences. Now, for some, they're looking for another election. 
And the election may have, you know what, the election may have been different if we had remembered that the country was framed by our, uh, our Constitution. And no matter how much we liked or disliked what was, something else was coming. Why? Because it was framed that way. What we didn't like in 2016, it was framed that way. Now, this is the fear in our country. Is who's in the Supreme Court? Why? Because the Supreme Court is given the job, they give interpretation of the word of the framers. They give an interpretation. And the fear is that the Supreme Court will change the intent of the heart of the framers. I'm trying to bring this home so you can get it. Maybe you can get it politically. <laughs> Think different. Now listen. So that's what we're nervous about. Who, who's going to be a Supreme Court? Who gonna, because why? They're, gonna, they're the ones... Who's going to give an interpretation of what the framers said, and we don't want them to change the intent of the heart of the framers. Now, we're governed under that. But guess what? It is fallible. Fallible. Why? Because it came from man. So it's fallible. It came from man. <laughs> I hope you're getting it. But the world of the worlds was framed by the word of God. And unlike this country, there's not three branches. There's not an executive branch, a legislative branch, a judicial branch. Not in the kingdom. There's one father, and he's a trinity. And they all agree with one. They're all on the same accord. There's no. That's why the Bible says there's no one man's private interpretation because the framer already framed it. No matter what you say about it, what you think about it, what you think it said, what, it doesn't matter. What he said is what he meant. There's the Father, and he's the Trinity. The Holy Spirit legislates, and guess what? The Son judges. And these three are one, and on one accord. We're talking about framing. They all say the same thing, unlike the world. And no matter how man interprets his word, we can't change the framers. Not God's word. We can't, we can't change the framers' intent. That means you can't make the word say what you want it to say. Why? This is why. See, this is the difference between the world and us. Because... See, the world's way and the judicial legislative, all, that system is fallible by men. This cannot be changed or be interpreted any way you want to because he is sovereign. Different from being fallible. He's sovereign. See, in this country, nobody is sovereign. But in faith, God is sovereign. So no matter what you think, God will do. No matter what you think He meant, 
He already has an interpretation of his word that is sovereign. And your manipulation of his interpretation doesn't change his constitution, which is the word of God. It doesn't change. So you can tell me, well, this is what we believe in. This is what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the framer. That's why you had better listen to God and not listen to what your, your, your denomination says and what you've learned in a book. You better hear from the throne of God because no matter what you, you're not going to manipulate Him to say something that He didn't frame. What He framed it is. And it won't change. He's sovereign. So that's why you had better be in a good church. A teaching church. Those that have their fingers on the pulse of God. Those that are not playing with your life and trying to be something small, exciting, and something popular. You better know what the Word of God says without any intentions that you think someone said. Well, my pastor said my... No, God, the framer... It's already spoken. So understand, you do have a free will, but you don't have free reign over what happens when you exercise your will. It'll frame it. Once you exercise your will, what happens... Listen, listen. Once you exercise your will, after that, it is framed. hope that cleared it up for you. See, the Bible tells us it's appointed every man wants to die. And after that comes what? The judgment. So what? Judgment comes after death. It's framed. No matter who you are, judgment is coming after death. So a lot of times people think people gotten away with something. Listen, nobody gets away with anything. Guess what? Why? Because everybody dies. And he said after death comes the judgment. Nobody gets away with anything. It may not never been known on earth, but you're not, you haven't gotten away with it. Because you're going to die. And the Bible says after death is the judgment. So don't be sad when you be like, ooh, they didn't even get, ooh, they got away with that. No, they didn't. Nobody gets away with anything. When you die, there's a judgment. It's framed. Now let's move on. I hope that cleared that up. Let's go on to the second definition of the world. It is the ungodly multitude that is alienated from God. The ungodly multitude that is alienated from God. Go to John chapter 3. few pages over. John chapter 3. I hope you got something out of that and a better understanding. Because I never want to leave you confused. Now, the ungodly multitude that is alienated from God are those who Jesus died to save. And who God loves. See, what happens in Christendom, we focus on the fact that God loves us. God loves me. And that's true. He does love you. But God does, He does love you, but God also loves those in the world. The Bible said God so loved the world. He loves a multitude of people who are alienated from Him. He loved them so much He sent Jesus to die for them. And before you get high-minded, I want you to know you was once a part of that multitude. 
Because we just, now that we in it, we like, ugh, how could they do that? How could they be in that? You were once in that. You were a part of it. That was a time that every one of us, every one of us was alienated and shut off from God. So we used to be in that multitude and God loved us so much. And he sent Jesus to die for us. Why? Because we were unsaved and needed salvation. Now we're connected to him. But he sent Jesus because we were alienated. So we need to understand that. This is what the world is. It's the multitude that's alienated from God. They're in a state. They're in, they're, they're in trouble. So we can't confuse the relationship, listen, that the multitude have with God at the present time with the feelings that God has for them. Because God still loves them. There are people in my life that I'm alienated from. But I still love them. See, we, we act like God is mad. See, we're mad at the world, so we think God is mad at the world. We don't like them. They won't come in. They don't do that. We even got loved ones. We get through with them. But not God. God loves them. You can't confuse the relationship that the multitude have for God. I don't care how much they, I don't want to hear nothing about no God. God loves that person. Ooh, ooh, Lord, I ain't going to talk to them no more. I don't even want them to get in trouble with God. No, no, no. It's not changing God's love. They're in the state. And I, like I said, I have people in my life that I'm alienated from, but it doesn't change my love. They're in a state that will not allow me and where I am to be in relationship with them. Because of their current state. But it, it should never be a reflection of my feelings. Still should have love. And my heart's desire that at some point that the alienation will end and that the, the relationship will be restored. Now, get, listen, we can, again, we could be in the church so long that we forget that God loves the ungodly. We forget that. He loves the ungodly that's alienated from him. That's what it's all about. That's why he says, that's why I'm sending you into the world. God wants to send us to the ungodly multitude so that they will know that he loves them. So I have to be sanctified. Otherwise, when I go out to the multitude to try to pull them in, if I'm not sanctified, they're going to pull me into them. The ungodly multitude are those that we ought to be witnessing to. We should not be witnessing to one another. We should know that. Are you in John chapter 3? Let, let, let's, let, let's just read this right quick. There was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do what these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, I like what Jesus did. Jesus didn't answer the question or the statement that he made. He gave him what he needed. 
He's talking about, we know you're a teacher. He, Jesus didn't say, well, yeah, I am a teacher. You know, I preach every once in a while, but now, nah, yeah, I'm a teacher. He said, uh, a man, you must be born again. I said, you know what, Jesus, you're cold. He's like, I'm going to give you what you need. Keep reading. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, I love that. Jump down to verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth 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 truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now some creep uh, people read these this this these passages of scriptures, and they they don't even they, you know they don't even want to witness anymore. Oh God, it's so much evil in the world. People you know people don't want Jesus. Oh, you see all of that, but you don't know who all will see the light. You don't know who will reject the light. That's not your job to know. You're just supposed to do your job and make sure you are the light. Your job is to let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I don't believe that God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world for us to just save one or two people. He said, I need you to be a light for a multitude of people. They're alienated from me. And I believe in my heart that there's a substantial number of uh, multitudes that we see here that need the light. And they need to repent. And they need to see a light. You know what? You saw the light. Why can't somebody else see it? You saw it. Don't act like because the world has changed. Let me tell you, God's word transcends time. I will never believe that sin has gotten so bad that you can't be redeemed. Now you may believe that, but I don't. I don't believe God sent Jesus to die for sins of the world. 
And then he said, now I sent to die for the sins of the world, but it's going to be a little heavy in 2021. 2020, I don't know, we're going to have to really... uh -uh. Because, you know, in 2021, they cross-dressing women, sleeping with women, men sleeping with men. They're doing drugs. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They, you know, everything is going on. So, I don't know. That's, a, that's much. Now, that's what you think and how you see it. But how do, you don't know how many of those multitudes need to be redeemed and want to be redeemed. See, you don't have to worry about who is or is not going to see the light or who's going to be redeemed. All you need to know is that you serve the Redeemer. And this is my job, is to make sure that I'm a light to all. Listen, there's going to always be people that reject the light. But there will be those that won't. They will, they will receive the light, but they got to see it. They got to see it. Now, if you, you, you know, if you start piecing this all together, you'll understand that Jesus, why Jesus prayed for us and not the world. You should understand that. He loves the world. He died for the world. He prayed for us to do a job in the world. See, already get in your head, there's always going to be people that reject salvation. There will always be those that don't want the light. But there are some out there that do. Because it's a multitude that's alienated from Him. And because someone rejects it, does not change your assignment. Oh, God, damn. I'm tired of going to the door to door. Everybody's rejecting. You go to door to door until one see the light. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change what God has called you to do. And the Bible just told us there's always going to be people that love darkness more than light. There will always be those who reject God as the creator and the orderer of things. There's always going to be people. But that has no bearing on what God called you to do. It doesn't matter. Somebody got you. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but through his son they might be saved. So God wants the world saved. God wants the world saved. God wants, we got to get that in our head. See, we got, we've gotten too religious. These are simple truths that have to get down on the inside of us. Now listen, God has framed it so that we will be a... That will, now, now this is already framed. There will come a time on this planet, there will be a dispensation, a span of time that is already framed when salvation will no longer be available to the world. But just think, look how long it's been since Jesus redeemed until now, until the time now. Now it's obvious that God is given the maximum amount of time to get people in, to save the world. He is, he's trying to get as long, he's holding everything back, he's holding everything back so you can get saved, that even the earth is groaning. Let's get it done in God's life. But he so loved the world, and that multitude that's alienated from him, that he said, it's not time yet. 
So I dare us to try to flap our behinds in a seat of judgment. And Jesus is not even in that seat. Jesus is sitting on the seat of mercy and we have the audacity to sit in the seat of judgment. Well, I'm through with it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We want to write off people while the Father still have His Son sitting on the mercy seat. See, we got to think like that. How dare us say there's no hope while the Son is on the mercy seat. That means that I... When you think like that, that means that you think that you can order the world. But the world is framed by the Word of God. Third definition. Write it down. We might not get to all of it tonight. Today we'll start next week. But write this definition down. The world is the whole of temporal things and worldly things. Temporal things and worldly things. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to get to that today, but let me just give you a few statements because it will pick up at Mark 4. So what do you mean by that statement? The statement I just made. The world is the whole, the whole of temporal things and worldly affairs. Well, What do I mean by that statement? I mean that everything that is, is a result from human activity. Everything. Everything is, everything is a result of human activity. But uh, biblically, it is considered the world. Biblically, it is considered the world. Listen. That's everything we do. Everything we make. Everything we have, everything we can come up with, it is considered worldly. Now the whole of temple things and affairs, is, listen, it's not necessarily evil, but it's still worldly. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 and 32 that a married man should care for things of the world that he might please God. But an unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. So that is, and so when it says that, what it's saying is that a married man needs to cut the grass. Make sure the bale's grass. And if you don't cut it, you need to pay to get it cut. It means that they should change the light bulbs. If ants is in the kitchen, they need to get them out. That's all it's meaning. Just, just temporal affairs. Just temporal things in life. Are you with me? Provide for your children. He has to care. The married man has to care for the temple things and the worldly things. That's why Paul said, I don't want to be married. He basically said, I, you know, I don't want a wife and children and take care of home. I'd rather put all of my energy in working for the Lord. And, uh, and I know a lot of men, and I know a lot of men in our congregation, we respect Paul and you honor Paul, but you don't want a role like that. You want a wife, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul said, I, don't, I know it's, it's, you, once you get married, it's going to take a lot of time. I'm going to give everything that I have to the Lord. Are you with me? 
Now, 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 don't nobody get all excited and say, I'm going to be like Paul. I don't want, I'm not going to want a wife too. Let me tell you, you're going to start fornicating, committing a duck. Listen, this, this is a, <laughs> you know, you have to say this because people be like, you know, I'm, I, that's where I am. That's where I am. No. I haven't met one like that yet. And again, it's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. Maybe I shouldn't have put that in there because people get to thinking crazy. But but I understand that because when my husband was here, it's a lot of things, even though he pastored a church, it's a lot of things that would have to come up in our families. He had to put that on hold to take care of things in our family. Because why? Because God expects that. See, you can't you can't be no man in your house and your wife say, uh, honey, the there's a a leak on the roof and you be like, I'm with Jesus right now. No, uh, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no. You're gonna have to go and take care of that. You need to do those things because it pleases God. Balancing all things, you have to take care of temporal things and worldly affairs. All of us, you and me, we have stuff and things. And all these things came from human activities. It's nothing divine about it. They're all worldly. They're worldly. Our cars are worldly. I didn't say it was evil. I just said it was worldly. The clothes I have on, they're worldly. They're worldly. The clothes you have on is worldly. And guess what? I need them. Because I can't stand up here like I was created. And neither can you. you Got to say that too. I know God showed me. Listen, neither can you. Your clothes are worldly, but there's something you need. They're not evil. So see, a lot of times in our thinking, because we use worldly in that way, we think of everything worldly as sin. But it's not. Worldly affairs, God requires you to take care of them. Amen? What makes things evil is the intent or the outcome of the human activity. Here's the thing. These things seduce us. Let me show you how. It, and it, it, it seduces us and, draw, and tries to draw us away from God. See, they're not evil, but they will seduce us. Let me show you how. You could be walking in a mall or walking on a strip where there's, you know, the strip with all of the the stores and everything. And you have $20 and that is your budget. And you walk by and you go in the store and start flipping through things and oh my God, that dress was it. But it's $60. Oh, you just have 20 The dress was not evil. <laughs> the shoes that you, oh my God, these was, oh, oh, I've been looking for that. They don't have that color anywhere else. I've been all over the internet. I can't believe I found them. Your budget is 20. The shoes of the dress is 60. The evil is not the shoes and dress. The evil is you just bought what you could not afford. There's the evil. And it seduced you because that dress looked like, oh, it's going to fall on you right. 
Oh, yes, it is. Look, try it on. Get on in there. Get the room and try that on. That feel that shoe. Oh, oh that, that, it don't even squeeze your toe. Lift your toes. Feel comfortable in it. Get that. Get that dip in. Hey, go on, on and tell TU Electric you're just going to have to, you know, you can pay the party next week. You need that shoe. You're not going to find it anywhere else. As a matter of fact, they don't even make it no more. Don't it feel good? Look how that dress. Turn it around. Turn it around. If we turn it around, ooh, that's going to fall just right. It seduces us. Ooh, I want that. You know, you go to the car lot. Instead of staying in your price range, why are you going to a Mercedes dealer and you know you need to be a Kia? Oh, well, no, Kia's pretty high, too. So where we need to go uh, to... Uh, what is them little bitty cars? But no, no, it's hot too. I think y'all everything's hot there. I didn't say with them little bitty cars, but no, I think they're kind of hot. But but you know what I'm talking about. Why are you going somewhere so it can seduce you into something you can't afford? If you make $30,000 a year, you don't have no business at no Lexus. You don't have no business at Mercedes. You don't have no business at any of those places. Why go? Because it's going to seduce you. Because I'm going to tell you, those luxury cars, they don't ride like regular cars. And you sit your behind in one and drive one on a deal and you feel that smooth ride, you're going to say, we can do it. We can do it. We can. No, you can't. You can't. Just get what you can where you are. Cars will always be there. Why get yourself caught up in worldly affairs and everything? Again, the car is not the sin. The sin is you and the evil is you going and going above what you know you can afford. But it will seduce you. They're not necessarily evil, but they have seductive power. And it will draw man away from God. That's why it says in Mark 4 that your cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, they choke the word because you get yourself caught up in it. And then what? He said, you become unfruitful. I'm out of time, but God is not. And He's going to show us. Listen, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to help you in this. You, you should, you should, you, you have to sit yourself down. Stop trying to look a certain way for a certain people. No! Worldly affairs, get them in order and say no. I'm not. That's why when God requires you to do something pertaining to the church, you can't because you're being seduced by that the dead thing, and you just put your money in dead things. Go where your money. Just stay right there. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.